Amen. Amen. So on January 3rd, we began uh, Romans chapter 8. And so today, uh, we get to close out this chapter. And so open your Bibles to Romans 8, and you'll discover that this final section is a continuation of what Paul had to say about our salvation. So as a refresher, I'm just going to back up to verse number 28. And there it says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, because those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And the emphasis on this final section is placed upon the security of the believer. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we have no need to fear the past, the present, or the future because we are secure in the love of Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse number 31, Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? He then gives five arguments to prove that there is no separation between the believer and our Lord. The first argument he gives is that that God is for us. Argument number one, God is for us. Verse 31 continues by asking the question, if God is for us, who is against us? Let's be clear. He's not saying that we're not going to have anybody against us. It it is clear that that Satan and his demonic host are certainly against us. Scripture testifies to this truth. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Then, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8, it says to be of sober spirit, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So, while it is true that Satan and his demonic host may be against us. They cannot prevail, nor can they triumph over us. Why? Because God is for us. And so, God is for us. God the Father is for us. We've already seen how the Son is for us in verse number 34. We see that the Son is at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. God is for us. The Son is for us. The Holy Spirit is for us. Back in verse number 26, it says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. God is for us. 
The Son is for us. The Holy Spirit is for us. And don't forget the very first verse I read today. Verse 28. And God is making all things work together for good. Now, all kinds of people may be against us, but who can overthrow the sovereignty? Or who can uh, overcome the power of God? The answer is, No one. Nobody can. So in His person and in His providence, God is for us. Argument number two. God is for us and He proved it by giving us His Son. So God is for us. Argument two is Christ has died for us. Look at verse 32. He who indeed did not spare His own Son but delivered him over for all, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So God is for us and Christ died for us. The words used here that says do not spare, well that means that God did not hold back. He did not re- refrain from giving his son. It means that he didn't refuse or he didn't hesitate in the giving up of his son oh god had a choice to make and he made it he deliberately chose to sacrifice his son for our benefits god knew exactly what he was doing someone had to pay the penalty for our sin and our transgression Someone had to to face the consequences of sin, the judgment of death. Therefore, God handed His Son over to die for us. So when it says for us, it's in our behalf, in our place. Handed His Son over as our substitute. God did not spare His one and only Son. God delivered him up on our behalf. Oh, what love. Love. So amazing. Love. So divine. Demands my soul. My life. My all. Somebody should write a song about that sometime. If I was a singing pastor, we'd be singing that right now. While we were sinners, while we were actively resisting and rebelling against God, God willingly gave up His Son. And so Paul is trying to get us to understand that if when we were sinners, God gave up His best, then now that we are God's children, will He not continue to give us exactly what we need For our benefit, Jesus uses the same type of logic when he talked about how how foolish it is to worry or to fear. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air, and they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worthy much more than they? And who of you? by being worried, can add a single cubit to his lifespan. 
God gave up His own Son. In addition to this, He graciously gives us all things so that we can be brought to the ultimate goal. And that ultimate goal is our sanctification and ultimately our glorification. So Christ died for us. God is for us. Argument number three is that God has justified us. Look at verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Now Paul's not saying that others will never try to lay a charge against us. But what he is saying is that no charge levied against us will ever stick. Satan would love to accuse us. But he can't. He can't because we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so when it says that God is the one who justifies, it means that that God is the one that has declared us righteous in and through Jesus Christ. Understanding the meaning of justification ought to bring peace into our hearts and into our lives. And when God declared the believing sinner to be righteous in His Son, you need to understand that that declaration never changes. Never changes. Oh, our Christian experience changes from from day to day, from moment to moment, but our justification never changes. So, So yes, our enemy may accuse us. Oh yes, others may accuse us. Oh, it's true that we may even try to accuse ourselves. But God will never take us to court and accuse us because Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sin. And so when we repent and believe in Christ, then, then, then we are now and forever secure in Him. A quick question for us to think about and to work through. The question would be this. What's the difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit for sin and the accusation of sin that comes from Satan? Conviction, accusation. What's the difference between the two? You see, the Holy Spirit works to convict us of sin and unrighteousness in order to lead us to repentance. And so the the end result is that we would go to God and to confess our sins and to ask for forgiveness. And so the conviction of the Holy Spirit is positive because it's redeeming. On the other hand, Satan brings the accusations Satan loves to point out the same sins of which the Holy Spirit has convicted us of, but the aim of Satan is to oppress us, to distract us, to discourage us, to frustrate us, to destroy us with all kinds of guilt and shame. There's a a distinct difference between the two. And so when the Spirit convicts us of sin, then what we ought to do is to confess that sin, repent from that sin, and move forward in life. 
when the enemy, the adversary, attempts to accuse us of sin, then we ought to remind the adversary that it is God who justifies. And then we move forward. God is for us. Christ has died for us. God has justified us. Argument number four, Christ intercedes for us. Verse 34 says, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So so think of it like this. Christ was condemned for me. Which means that my sin was condemned by God at the cross. And so therefore, what possible condemnation is there left to be heaped upon those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And so while some people may condemn me with their mouths, that condemnation is in vain. Because the only one who can condemn me has already condemned me in Christ at Calvary. Romans 8 is so encouraging. It's so encouraging for so many reasons. And one of the things that encourages me is seeing how intercession keeps us secure in Jesus. Remember the Spirit intercedes for us? Look at verse 26 and 27 again. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit intercedes for us. The Son of God intercedes for us. It says Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Intercession means that Jesus Himself represents us before the throne of God. And praise God that we don't have to try to represent ourselves before His throne. Jesus is doing that work on our behalf. So although His work of atonement is finished, His continuing work of intercession for those who believe will go on and on without interruption until every redeemed soul is secure in heaven. So God is for us. Christ has died for us. God has justified us. Jesus intercedes for us. And then number five is that Christ loves us. Verse 35. says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Paul then goes on to list seven things that a believer might face. He says, Will tribulation or turmoil or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. 
Interestingly, if you read through 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you will see that Paul faced all seven of these things in his own life. Verse 36 says, just as it is written. Here, Paul's going to quote from Psalm chapter 44, verse number 22, in order to remind us that in this life, we will face affliction. It'll happen. Jesus says the same thing in, in John 16, verse 33, when he says, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus has proclaimed to us. And here, he's reminding us from Psalm 44, verse 22, where it says, For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, rather than being separated from Jesus' love, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. Uh, that would be uh, translated as we are super conquerors. right? We overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen is right. Hallelujah is in there too. I love what R.C. Sproul has to say about this. Uh, In his book, The Gospel of God, which is his exposition of the book of Romans, he has this to say at verse number 36. He says, "Uh, do you know what happens to people when they are persuaded? He says, they become convinced. And people who are convinced have convictions. And people who have convictions live according to principles. How else can you explain the life and ministry of Paul apart from the fact that he was a man who had been persuaded? That's what we need in the church. People who are convinced that nothing can separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you convinced? Have you been persuaded? I mean, this is a glorious promise. This is not a promise that has conditions attached to it. This is not a, hey, if you'll do this, then I'll do this kind of scenario. No, our security in Jesus Christ is an established fact. Nothing can separate us from His love. Nothing. Nothing or no one. While the enemy or others might try to accuse us or condemn us, nothing. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from His love. Therefore, believe it. Believe it 
receive that into your life. Rejoice in knowing that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. When you understand that, when you become persuaded to that understanding, when you become convinced and live according to certain principles, then you will know that you are no longer enslaved to fear because the the, the Spirit of God has set us free. And because we've been set free, then nothing can separate us from His love. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no separation. And so, since God is for us, who can be against us? Now, point of clarity. God is not for everyone that's in this room. God is not for everyone that is watching or listening. That is for his children, those who repent and believe in his son. Just because you attend church doesn't make you a believer. But believers ought to be attending church. Do you believe? You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. If you do, nothing separates you from the love of Christ. If you haven't, then don't get caught up in a feel-good message because that message doesn't apply to you. You need to understand that you are an enemy of God. You are his adversary. And the only way for you to find peace is to repent and believe. For those that are in Christ Jesus, my prayer for you, the same prayer for me, is that the Holy Spirit would move in my life, would make known unto me the things that I need to confess and repent from and the commitments and decisions I need to make to further honor and glorify Him in what I do and in who I am. And so that's why at this point of the service, we will move into a time of responding to the Word of God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for another day, another opportunity to, to share Your Word. And Father, thank You for the journey that You put in front of us over a year ago to, to walk through the book of Romans. And some of it's hard, man. Some of it's frustratingly hard. I get it. But God, may we remain faithful. May we dig into your word. May we have a desire to understand and to rightly, you know, apply that to our hearts and lives. And in this room, Father, there's all kinds of decisions that could be made in this moment. There are those that need to put their faith and trust in you. Sins to be confessed. Commitments to be made. Father, whatever it is that we need to do in moments like this, Father, I just pray that you would make it happen. Oh, God, make it happen. These next few moments, Father, I pray that you are pleased by what you see in and from us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. As we have an opportunity to respond to God's word today, I want you to understand that we will have 
staff and elders off to the sides. If you'd like to go and to speak to someone or have them to pray with you, the altar's open. I'll be down here at the front, more than willing to talk and to pray with you. Whatever we can do to help you out during this time, we would love, love, love to be able to do that. Thank you.